Uh, a couple things. <clears throat> Baptisms are right around the corner. Uh, so if you want to be baptized, sign up in the back. I will get a hold of you. There will be another baptism class in the next couple of weeks again. So uh, we'll let you know about those next steps about that. Uh, Good Friday service is this Friday. It's going to go from 5.30 to 9.30. It's self-guided. We do, we do have uh, papers to walk you through what's kind of happening in it. But the book of Acts, what it does is Jesus comes and sets his people on mission. He sets them free. And so what we want to do as part of that kind of uh, theme is for Good Friday, give you guys something in your hands to do, but set you free to actually go and uh, kind of lead yourself through the Good Friday service. So again, like we say, it's always different, but this is going to be different than others. But that's redundancy because everyone is different. So there you go. Uh, Easter services, uh, Saturday night, 6 p.m., and the three normal times on Sunday morning. Uh, the Saturday night, 6 p.m., we will have uh, nursery care only, and then we'll have full child care for all the services on Sunday. Um, and if you guys remember, in your sermon notes, we're taking a couple weeks to walk through uh, a couple different things to try and draw us together closer as a church. And so you'll have two sides in your notes. You have one side on this side, which is all about the church is made up of Jesus' servants. And on this side, you actually have the actual sermon notes on the other side of that. Uh, and so it's just kind of a way to refocus us on who God's calling us to be in our daily lives, that uh, Jesus made us to be servants. Uh, you know, one of the things, Jesus comes in the flesh, God in the flesh. And, and what does he say? He said, I came to serve. And he said, if you want to be like me, you are people who need to learn how to serve. Unfortunately, we are people who want everybody to serve us, and we don't really want to serve. Uh, Matthew twenty twenty eight. he says, even as the Son of Man came not to, be, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus is a model for servanthood. And when we say we love and follow Jesus, we follow what he says as well. And that radically changes how we view and see everything from our, from our things to our stuff, to our monies, to our jobs, to the things that we sacrifice for. It all comes down to who Jesus is and what he has done and how we live as servants in that. So we ask that you to take some time uh, to kind of read through that and what it means to serve Jesus in that way. Uh, also, if you are somebody who likes to do the U versions with us, uh, the U versions uh, will have two different sides, but U version no longer says live on it. They changed it on you last week. Now it's called events. I know, so I, I don't have a lot. It's events. So if you go U version, you have a smartphone, you download this app. It's called U version. <laughs> Click on events, and it'll come up, and you'll see two different events. Uh, one will be the sermon notes for the day, and one will be. The other one. Would it make sense? I don't know if I'm making sense. I am doped up. So we will see how this goes. Um, Why don't you tell me you're reading God's Word? This is Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask you to teach us what it means to be a people who live and walk in your name, to understand what that means, and that the world would know who you are by how your children live. Amen. Have a seat. So today we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, you know how I normally say I make fun of you as first service being practice? You are not practice today. You are actually the service. We are recording this one for video to show on the other two services because I will not make it. So if I say something stupid, everybody gets to hear it today. And we're just going to kind of run through this. So you all get, you have a crying baby, run out of here with it in the middle. Okay. <laughs> so we good? We're going to go for this? That means if I say anything remotely funny, you got to laugh like it was really funny. <laughs>
this isn't on the video. Hold it until we get there. Yeah. All right, so you ready? Two, one. All right, so we're going through the book of Acts uh, in a better, an effort to better understand what Jesus calls the church to be. Uh, when you look at the book of Acts, the book of Acts is full of what we call uh, descriptive text. That means it describes the things that happen. These are against what are called prescriptive texts because prescriptive text tells us what to do. And so a lot of times when you try and take a whole lot of theology out of the book of Acts, you can't do it that well because, again, they're all descriptive. They're telling us what happened. But what it does show us is a really good pattern to follow to be a church that honors Jesus. So part of what we want to do is help you if you ever decide to leave Element to be able to look for indicators of a good church for you to be part of. No matter where you move or live or go, we believe that to live the life Jesus calls us to as a people, we must be connected to a church that's a community of believers who are on his mission living for and with him together. And so through this series we tried to give you catchy little titles to Remember some of these things of what we do as we follow Jesus. Today's title is A Name That Confronts Us. And if you do not stay at Element or attend another church at some point or attend another church right now, we encourage you to find one that preaches the gospel and that it would confront you in your sin. That it would not enable you to continue to live and linger in it, but it would kind of get in your face at times. That you wouldn't find a church that gives you three to ten steps to a better you or a, or a happier life or self-help sermons that make you feel good and say it's all about you. Because it's not about you. It is all about Jesus. Our lives are falling apart today because we think it's all about us. And it is not about us. We're the problem. And so we must be a people who do not shy away from hard words that want to wake us up to the reality of the good news of what Jesus came to do, what the gospel is, to show us what our lives are supposed to be like in the world that we live in. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, that's where we're at. Uh, Today, there have now been, including what you'll see today, three opportunities for Peter to speak the gospel and share the truths of the gospel. Luke, who is the writer of the book of Acts, is brilliant in how he brings all these things together. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we saw Peter and John heal this man, lame, from birth. People are rejoicing and they're worshiping God. And then Peter preaches the gospel about the truth of God's words given to us. That's what we looked at last week. And now what Luke is going to do is conclude this whole narrative by showing you how Peter and John got in trouble for healing somebody and speaking the truth. Yay! That's kind of how it works. Uh, Essentially, they're getting in trouble for talking about Jesus by the people who ruled the temple. They're supposed to be the most spiritual people. Uh, Three groups get mad at them. So Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, so that connects it with what we looked at last week in chapter 3. So they're telling, you know, all these people about the gospel, who Jesus is. And the religious leaders say, Peter and John, you can't do that. You know, we're the spiritual ones. You need our approval to do this. So as they're speaking to the people, the priests, so that's the religious leaders, the captain of the temple, the captain of the temple, this is the officer who was in charge of the temple police force. Now, don't think like police force, like what you're going to do when they come for you. This is, this is more like a religious position. So if you've ever gone to like a, like a really staunch, hardcore Baptist church, this is the guy who walks up in the back and like if you try to talk to your friend, they're like, shut up, don't talk. That's, that's the captain of the temple police force. Okay? He, he's a little self-important, thinks he's got a lot going on. Like, I'm the captain. Yeah, Captain Kangaroo. That, that's, 
that's who he is, thinks he's way too important. And the Sadducees. So the Sadducees are the ones who kind of rule the temple and they interact with Rome, so they're more like political leaders. And so these three guys came upon them and they're greatly annoyed, you don't say, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So these three groups go after them and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of men came to about five thousand. So five thousand more people believe are getting added to the church. That is also stuff we'll look at later because again that's another logistical nightmare. The early opposition that you see to preaching the gospel is shown in Acts mainly from religious people. Why is that? Well, the Sadducees are those who worked in the temple. They were descendants of those who they thought brought in the messianic age and their job was to continue what their fathers had begun. Nothing like a church run by like a business, right? You ever hear some pastor say, oh, when I die, I'm giving my church to my son. That's not how it's supposed to work, okay? It's not, it's not birth. It is new birth where God calls people into ministries. Now, I'm going to leave. It drives me crazy. Whatever. It's all on video. I can do whatever I want, right? (laughs) This... (laughs) The Sadducees uh, were priests from the tribe of Levi, and they claimed to represent all the right beliefs, and they were uninterested in anything like Jesus dying or rising from the dead or something like that. They were against what was known as the oral law. The oral law was mainly a way to apply the Bible to everyday life. When Jesus taught, he taught mainly the oral law. Uh, The Sadducees did not believe in angels or demons or the doctrine of the resurrection. They're a lot like liberal professors in Christian colleges today. Boom, boom. Okay, uh, they rejected what the Gospel Transformation Bible calls hopes for God's heavenly intervention in the life of the nation and for a coming Messiah. And so they believed that God's age had what God promised the age would be and would come had actually already come. And it started with the family of the Maccabees because that's what brought them into power. And they fought to keep that power for a couple hundred years. And so anytime anybody got too close, they got rid of them. Like Jesus, that's one of the reasons they got rid of Jesus. To them, the Messiah was more of an ideal. He's not a real person. And so most of the priests were Sadducees. The temple police force is composed entirely of Levites. The captain of the temple guard is always a high caste Sadducee. And so, and so were the high priests. So what you have is this situation where it's like this, it's all in the family. It's just these people. It's all the insiders. It's kind of like Washington, D.C. It's like Republican, Democrat, they're all the same. It doesn't matter. It's just the same people doing the same. Ugh. Verse 5. On the next day, so Luke now ties into what's coming next, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, who were all who were of the high priestly family. Yeah, those guys. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, so Peter's going to confront them with the good news of the gospel. And what you have to understand is good news is not always welcome news which you will see. He says, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven and given among men by which we must be saved. 
And you will begin to see this power struggle. The religious leaders here are saying, these are a bunch of uneducated men. They're unofficial. We didn't say they could heal anybody. Not that they could heal anybody if they wanted to anyway. Because all of a sudden what happens is the apostles have a whole lot of authority because they just healed somebody. They're speaking the gospel. People are coming to believe and be, and be saved. They're demonstrating something very powerful and the religious leaders do not like that. What happens is this starts to become about names and power. Verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. I mean, what can you say to that, right? But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For the notable sign has been performed to them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. We'd like to, but we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no, no more to anyone in this name. That's the name of Jesus. So they called them together and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, <laughs> love that, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened, for the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And you know when you're over 40 years old, it's all downhill. <laughs> I am over 40, and a cold hits me really hard these days. And so, I mean, we, we can talk about, you know, the persecution of the early church and all these things, but what we really need to talk about today is you're not allowed to preach or teach the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. That's what we've got to talk about and understand. Uh, these are words that get used over and over in verses in, in the book of Acts. It becomes a central premise to the gospel. Let me show you this. Acts chapter 3, verse 6, the beginning of the story where they heal this man. In the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth rise up and walk. Acts 3.16 And by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong. In verse 16 it says, And the faith that is through Jesus, again in his name, has given this man perfect help in the presence of you all. Acts chapter 4 verse 7 By what power, by what name do you do this? Acts chapter 4 verse 10 Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 There is salvation in no one else for the there's no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. If you go further into Acts, Acts chapter 9, verse 15, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. He's talking about the Apostle Paul. Uh, Acts 9, verse 28, So he went out and among them at Jerusalem, preachly, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. It's like name, name, name. Uh, there's a lot more than this. I'm assuming you get my point, right? It talks about this a lot in here. The way a name functions in the ancient world is different than the way it functions for us today. Because of the way we understand the world, how we interact with our culture, the way a name works is different. This is why when we hear things like, don't use the Lord's name in vain, we think that's a God with a damn at the end of it, and we say, don't do that. And that's not really what they would have thought at all. So let me try to explain to you the differences in this and what it looks like. A big difference for us today is our technology. We have, we have technology today in how we communicate. In the ancient world, they're mostly what was called an oral culture. They were all about spoken words. In our culture, we are a literate culture. We write things down. I know some of you see how some of your kids write emails or things like that. You're like, my kids aren't literate at all, right? But, you know, but we do emoticons. 
and abbreviations and things like that, that's still part of what is known as a literate culture. It's like, we like to text versus talk. I don't want to talk to you, but I'll, I'll text back, you know, that kind of stuff. And this difference has large implications in how we see and think and live and operate. Like, if you l- go somewhere, and you see something that moves you, like a sunset, and, it, and it's like, oh, that is just amazing, and you, and you take that picture, and you post it on Facebook or Instagram, and you send it to your friends, or it's in your phone, or in your camera, that is there. It is a fixed moment in time. And though the sunset, you know, may be gone when someone goes to look at it, like an hour later, it's still fixed in time because you have now posted it. It is now fixed somewhere where everybody can see exactly what you saw. But in an oral culture, you have to speak about it. You have to say, the sunset was like this, and it looked like this, and you speak it, and that becomes the reality. But as soon as you are done speaking that out loud, it's gone. It doesn't come back again unless you speak it again. In an oral culture, what you say and what you do are bound together. They are not two separate things. But in a literate culture, a literal culture, ours is different. With a little technology of paper and pencil, computer, smartphones, tablets, Facebook, Instagram, you can write something down. That thing becomes externalized. It becomes fixed in space and time. And it does not vanish when you stop writing or speaking. It's, it's why today we can quote like all these people who lived in different ages and we don't even know what they looked like. We don't even know what everything they believed was. We just know these nice little pithy quotes that they had and we talk about them. Because those things now are written down. It is put in place. What happened with the advent of technology for the first time in the history of the world is you see a separation of the knower from what they actually know. And that becomes very hard for for us to understand. A division is now possible between a person that knows something and the thing that they actually know. This is why sound bites can destroy politicians. It's like, you know, does anybody really think Obama thinks there's 57 states in America? No, okay? He's smarter than that. I know, oh yeah, uh, he's a dummy. You know, he knows or not. It's, it's this thing he misspoke one time, yet it's all over the internet. Does anybody really think Ted Cruz wants to blow up the world? I mean, seriously? Yeah, Ted Cruz wants to blow Seriously? I mean, come on. Little things get out there. Sometimes people misspeak and say things. Get over it. You gotta understand, there was writing in Jesus' day. People wrote things down, but it wasn't widely accessible. I mean, God's words were written down, but if you lived in a town, you probably could only afford one copy of the scriptures. And they were kept in this thing called the Torah Ark. And you would see them maybe once a week when they were brought out. But you didn't at your home have like a pencil and post-its where you could write, don't forget the milk, and stick it on your husband's donkey and say, pick it up on the way home. They didn't have stuff like this, not the way it worked. Now, so, like, if I wrote this, I am Aaron, and I like cookies. It's a glorious statement. It is beautiful. You can't get around it. Now, because it is up here behind me uh, on technology, it is now fixed in time. It is, it is going to be on the video. It's going to be on the podcast. It's on our keynote. It's in all of these ways. It now exists apart from me. You know, I write it so you would know it and know how wonderful the truth is, but it exists out there now. <laughs> now, if I decided to change my mind, right, God forbid, right, and said, I hate cookies, you know how hard it would be for me to actually change that? Because every, I mean, how many knows I, I, I like cookies? How many of you guys know that? Think how hard it would be for me to change your mind. If I said, no, I really don't like cookies anymore, you'd be like, you're so full of it, right? <laughs> I could say that, right? Anyway. Uh, I just did. And it's fixed in time. (laughs) 
But that's the thing. Like you, it's it's out there now. And if I ever wanted, you got to do a lot of work to try and change that if you want it to actually change. Words and ideas in a literate culture they have a life of their own because they become separated from the person who said them. So does that make sense? You tracking with me? Okay. This idea is unimaginable in an oral culture. In an oral culture, name is inseparable from the person. A name is given to someone to describe their deepest essence. In the ancient world, you didn't name your kids something because it sounded cool. There's always something behind the name. What is behind the name? This is why when you read through the scriptures or read things like, and they named them so-and-so because of this, like Adam says, and he named his wife Eve because she became the mother of all the living, or they named that place Bethel because it was the house of God. It always references something bigger than themselves. It's like, my name is Aaron, but no one ever says, oh, hello, bringer of light, when they meet me. No one says that. That would be quite awesome, but no one has ever done it. For us, names are decorations and designators. In the ancient world, a name was the essence of that being. God is, I am, Yahweh, always has been, always will be. That's who he is. I think Harry Potter illustrates this the best, okay? I know he never thought to hear that in a church, right? So whatever. So you have this guy in Harry Potter called He Who Shall Not Be Named. This is the evil Lord Voldemort in the Harry Potter world. Now, in that world, you don't say Voldemort because if you did, you're invoking the person. That is an ancient view of how they saw things. It's, uh, Harry Potter illustrates that perfectly. I mean, today, if you have an enemy, you don't say He Who Shall Not Be Named. You say, Derek, that guy right there, he's a butthole. Right? And if... Right? And you tell all your friends. Sorry if your name is Derek. I just picked the name out of the air. <laughs> and hopefully you weren't sitting right there when I did that. But, but you know what I mean. Names are designators. They have nothing more to them. When Christians in the modern world read passages like the name of Jesus, we think they mean what we mean, some separated artifact from the person. And if we use the phonetic sound, Jesus, it has power to do something. That is not how it works. That's voodoo. That's the power of Christ compels you. Oh, I said Jesus' name. That, now God's got to do something. You know, that's not how the ancient world worked. For them and for us, power is not in the name. It is in the person, and the person is connected to the name. It all goes together. Jesus actually warns us about separating the name from the person, because a parrot can say Jesus. It doesn't mean he's invoking Jesus the way we understand Jesus. In Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They're doing all of these things, all of these, this great stuff. And Jesus says, you don't know me. You don't know me. You're just using this name. When we start to separate the name of Jesus from the person of Jesus, we diminish who he is and what he did. It's why today a lot of people can throw out the name of Jesus in a whole lot of places and they have no connection to him whatsoever. It is why we can slap labels like Christian on things and people blindly consume it because we think it's okay just because we slapped a label on that thing. Like, I have an aunt. She occasionally listens to my messages. And and one time that I know of, she asked my mom why I don't always end my prayers with in Jesus' name. She said, you're always supposed to do that. If you don't do that, well, then it doesn't count. 
She might be listening to this message. Yay. Okay, whatever. Some people actually believe that if you don't use the name Jesus, he cannot act. Like saying the name will somehow let him go and let him be able to do certain things. In the Gospels, you see Jesus constantly acting and speaking and working and healing. Many times when people are completely unaware. Because Jesus can act whether his name is invoked or not. And when we talk about the gospel, this is why we say in its simplest form, the gospel is Jesus. Not the name, but all that Jesus is. The gospel is Jesus. That Jesus lived a perfect life before God. That the righteousness that he has, he gives to us as a gift. He died the death that we should have died. When we talk about religion, religion is like, I'm going to obey God so he'll accept me. That is just somebody who uses the name Jesus, not somebody who lives in the name of Jesus. A person who is a Christian who lives in the name of Jesus, we understand we are first accepted by God through the work of Jesus, by what he has done, therefore we follow and obey. It's a totally different viewing of this. When we live in the name of knowing Jesus, it is actually Jesus. And when we say the name, we don't just mean Jesus, we mean all that he was. The gospel gives us a new relationship with God and a new identity. But that never means the gospel is done with us. The gospel continues to work in us. Timothy Keller writes this. He said, Jesus' name is is Lord and Savior, and to receive Jesus and take on his name means to take in reality who he says he is. Who is he? He's Lord and Savior. It's all that he has said, all that he has done, all that he has revealed God to be. His Lord and Savior. This is why Keller X talked about the true marks of actually following Jesus and true spirituality. He says it's a submission of our will to his and a grasp of the grace of God. Because we can have all the orthodox theology we want. We can pray all night. We can never use God with a damn at the end of it. We can be all emotional. We can be all involved in sacrifices. And still have never actually submitted our will to Jesus or grasped the grace of the gospel. So, submission of your will to his. What this is, is it looks like this. Jesus says, Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? This could be, why do you use my name and not actually live in my name? Jesus calls Christianity, it's a kingdom, and he is its king. And so we live in that kingdom, we take on him as king, we submit to him as king. In a lot of our lives, we are busy doing a whole lot of things in the name of Jesus. But a lot of times we separate it from who Jesus really is. Is I mean, this is one of the reasons we're doing those things in the book of, uh, as we do these last three weeks, you know, we are servants sent on mission. We are family. You know, it's, we are missionaries. Like the last three weeks, kind of, as a family, kind of tried to bring those things together with us because Jesus was a servant. So we live as servants of one another. I mean, too often we think, oh, I'm a good person. Jesus has got to be pleased with me because I'm doing all these really nice things. But Jesus is never fooled if what we're actually doing is all about us and we're not truly living in his name. To take on the name of the king is to say, I give up the right in my life to determine what is right and wrong for me, and I will submit to the king in everything. Today we have diminished the name of Jesus by not understanding how it is him. Modern people, we love to say things like, oh, I believe religion should be very engaging. It should really calming things, maybe socially redeeming and a lot of things that I do. But you've got to look in your own heart to figure out what's right and wrong for you. That's not how it works. And, but that's a myth that a lot of Christians who come to Jesus won't shed. You have to say, I submit to you as Lord and Savior, or you're not actually living in Jesus' name. But the second thing is the grasp of the grace of God. We understand God's grace. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who uses my name will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father. 
A Christian is somebody who follows and obeys because we know God is our Father, that He sent Jesus to live the perfect life for us to redeem us. This is why I said too many people obey God so they'll be accepted by God. Like, if I do all these things, then I'll be accepted. That is merely using the name of Jesus. And the other side of that is living in the name of Jesus understands that we have already been loved and accepted. That Jesus came and died and rose from the grave to redeem and save us all. And because of that, we live in his name. It is a difference between performance versus family. Living in Jesus' name means we understand that we are family. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To receive Jesus, believe in His name, those are the same thing. Those who received Him, who believed on His name, He gave the authority to become children of God. How does a child get adopted into a family? Is it by all kinds of effort and works? No. Is it by making everybody really like Him, trying really hard? No. They get adopted simply because of grace. And if you adopt a child, you put your name on that child, it means the child is now accepted and inclusively loved. You adopt out of love. How do we actually take upon ourselves the name of Jesus as our Savior? We renounce trying to be our own Savior. We renounce trying to live our lives the way that we think we should, and simply live how God calls us to, to live in His name. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. That is our name now. That is what we are. Our identity is children of God. You may fall down and screw up and do all kinds of stupid things in your life. And the enemy's going to want to come up and say, oh, look at that. Oh, you, you stole this from your office. Oh, man, you're a stealer. You're the worst. You, get, you are a child of God who maybe did something stupid, but you're a child of God first. You know, you drive down the road, and you're in the roundabout, and you, you're like, I know, I get it. You want to kill everybody in the roundabout because nobody knows how to use the dumb things, except for me. And you're like, oh, and you want to swear at these people in the roundabout. It's like, ah! And then you, and you get a little farther out of the roundabout, and you're like, man, I am such a jerk. And then he's going to be like, yeah, you are a jerk. I can't believe you did that. Ah, ah. Your identity is child of God first. And then that begins to bring in all the places that we screw up and mess up in the perspective because our name is children of God because we live in the name of Jesus. Don't let somebody move and take away your identity of who God made you to be. Only when we understand who Jesus is, we begin to live in that. I mean, if you only understand Jesus as a name, you miss all that he has been doing. When we can look beyond our cultural mindset and the boundaries that kind of placed around us, we can move beyond that. We get to see how much more God is acting and moving. We get to exist in a world where Jesus' names become, his name becomes alive in our spiritual life, in our personal life, in our sexual life, in our financial life, in our family life. He's alive in all of it. Because it's not just his name that we claim. It's all of him because he is the one who has claimed us. We are his. There is no part of our lives that he is not allowed to touch. That he is not allowed to come in and speak truth in. I mean, this is the beauty of becoming alive and living in the name of Jesus. I mean, sometimes we even use the name Christian. And it's like an adjective that just describes something. Oh, I'm a Christian. What does that mean? Well, I do these things. No, that's not what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody who has been redeemed and saved by the blood of Jesus. And out of that, maybe we do do certain things, but what we do is not the definitive of who we are. It's what Jesus has done. It's living in his name makes us who we are. So, ask yourself these questions. Is there some place in your life that maybe you only use, use Jesus' name? but don't actually live in his name. 
Are there some places in your life where you only use the name Christian but don't actually live being a child of God? Where do the lies in your life need to cease and the real Jesus needs to be invoked to change everything? And in the end, how can you and I live like John and Peter and speak the name of Jesus into the lives of those around us? Because Jesus' name comes and it, and it takes us in these places and confronts us in our complacency. And we as a body of believers must always speak about this. The name that confronts us and challenges us and changes. Because confronting is not always a bad thing. Confronting can also be a very good thing. It can say, look, this is where you are wrong and this is where the grace of God longs to shine through into your life and begin to change everything. I mean, this is one of the reasons we talk about communion every week, where you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me. That that's the understanding that he is the one who took care of our sin and restored relationship between us and God. And that confronts us. Many times in places where we want to simply be, I'm doing it myself, I'm going to figure this out. We can't do it ourselves. He is the one who has rescued and redeemed and saved. This is what we remember at communion. Jesus' name is what rescues and redeems and saves us. The gospel, Christianity, is all about Jesus' name. The band's going to come up. And as they do, we might take communion. There'll be some deacons in the back. If you need prayer, I mean, maybe, maybe in your mind, Jesus' name has always been this name, right? You just, you just kind of say Jesus, and you don't really know what that actually means. They love to talk to you about that. I mean, maybe, maybe in your life you've heard the term Christian, and Christian is just a bunch of attitudes and a bunch of things you do, and they would love to pray with you about that to help you to understand that a Christian is someone who has been saved by Jesus, who is a child of God, and adopted into the family of God. That is what changes it. It's not us trying to do all the right things. It's that God has rescued and saved us. God has done the right thing and saved us. There's offering boxes in the side wall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. So you have the opportunity to give. Uh, We don't pass a plate. Uh, There's some food in the back. We invite you to grab something to eat, meet some other people. Uh, and maybe, you know, talk through some of these things. What does it mean to live in Jesus' name? Like, how have we made Christianity about a set of rules rather than, you know, living in Jesus' name? Because I think if we're honest enough, we can all kind of pick little things in our lives or we can say, yeah, you know, right here, I only do it because I think I'm supposed to and not because I'm really living in Jesus' name. And I think once we're, once we're good enough, deep enough into each other's lives, we can ask really tough questions and actually help us each to grow into knowing and living in the name of Jesus better and better and better. Because I'll tell you, Jesus has called you his child, he has rescued you, he has redeemed you, and he loves you more than you can ever, ever know. We should be people who live as his children, honoring him by how we live as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being a God who has rescued us. That you didn't give us a list of a bunch of things to do before you would save us. But you came and you saved and you restored and you brought us home. That you, as our God, stepped into time and rescued us when we were lost and broken and trying to do everything in our own name. And if we are totally honest, Father, we know that doing things in our own name always leads to destruction in our lives. Nothing ever works out the way that we want. Nothing ever makes sense until our lives are found in you. And so today, 
I ask that you would teach us as a people to live and walk and understand what it means to live and walk in your name. That we would be children of the Most High King who love and worship you in all things because we live in your name. We ask this in your Son's good name. Amen.